I'd like to open up in prayer. So if you'd please bow your heads with me. And gracious Father, we give you thanks for this day. We thank you, Father, that you love us, that you care about us. We thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for us. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you guide us, you teach us, you empower us. I pray that you would give me the word to speak today, that they would be the words from your heart, that they would encourage the people here. I pray, Lord, that you would just be with us throughout the remainder of this week. We love you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. I, I had a really good coach in high school, and his name was Coach Cook. He was a, a track coach, and he also coached the cross-country team. And um, when I was in high school, I, I did varsity baseball. I ran varsity track, did the long jump, triple jump, 4x4 relay, 400. And the longest I ever really um, ran was about the, a mile, okay? I, I never ran more, more than that. A mile was about it. And I had a friend on the cross-country team by the name of James. And he came up to me after school one day. This was in June. 1996 was the year. He was like, hey, Marcus, why don't you join the cross-country team with me? I was like, the what? Cross-country? What is, what is cross-country? You just run a lot. <laughs> oh, okay, sure, yeah. You know, so that, that afternoon was cross-country sign-ups. So I go into the gym with James, and Coach Cook, he's there. You know, and he's talking to all the, the previous cross-country varsity team, all those guys. And I walk up, and Coach Cook's just looking at me like, what are you doing here? And I was like, oh, I, I'm here to sign up for cross-country. He's like, Robinson, you're a sprinter. This is the wrong sport for you. I was like, no, today I'm a cross-country runner. <laughs> and he's like, okay, sure. And then um, I signed up, and there weren't many people on the varsity team because cross-country was kind of like one of those sports that nobody cared about. And then, like, usually what happened was people who, who did, like, like um, soccer or something, they wanted to condition. So they'd come over to, to cross-country in, in the fall, and then they'll be ready for soccer season. So they, there were no serious cross-country runners. And um, James was like, look, dude, like, you just walked on, and you're, like, automatically on varsity. I was like, yeah, man, this is cool. <laughs> you know, and then I, I sat... You know, I sat in the gym and I was just looking at, like, I went to Ontario High and I was looking at all the banners of when we won and everything. And, like, basketball, you know, we won within the last couple of years. Football, we won. Baseball, where our school was known for baseball. And I looked at cross country and it was like, the last time we won a championship was in 1988. And it was 1996. And I was like, James, we suck, dude. We suck. <laughs> we're we're going to lose, man. And I was like, I don't want to be on a losing team. So I started telling the team, I was like, look, first of all, like, this is embarrassing. We haven't won since 1988. This year we're going to win, right? And Coach Cook is looking at me like, you're an idiot. And I was like, no, 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 no. This year we're going to win. So I stand up, I get in my little soapbox. I was like, no, this year we're going to win. We're going to be champions. We're going to be undefeated. We're going to beat out Tuloma, Etiwanda, Chafee, all those guys. We're going to win. And everybody's like, yeah, yeah. You know, and the coach is looking at me like, you're dumb, dude. <laughs> and then, like, after it's over, everyone's all hyped up. And then Coach Cook pulls me aside. He's like, Robinson, you're crazy. You know that, right? I was like, yeah. <laughs> and then he, he was like, do you, do you know what it takes to, to win a championship? I was here when we actually won that championship in 1988. I was like, I have no idea, honestly, you know, and he's like, okay, um, 
And he looked at me, he's like, you're serious, son. You, you really think that this team could win? You really think you can win? You never ran cross country before, but you, you just walked on this team, you know, just never knew anything about cross country, and now you think we can just win a championship. I was like, yep. He says, okay, I will do everything I can to help you win. I'll do everything I can to help you become undefeated league champs, as you told the rest of the team. I was like, okay, let's do it. <laughs> All right, so first thing, Cook was like, okay, well, first thing, this, your summer is over. Just know that. Just know that. Your summer is done with. And I was like, okay. And he's like, I will come to your house, and, and all the, the leaders of the, the varsity team, I'll come to your house at 5 a.m., okay, every morning, Monday through Friday, and you will train. You will hurt. You will feel pain. You will probably throw up, but that's part of winning. I was like, okay, <laughs> right? <laughs> so every morning, 5 a.m. on the dot, he was outside of my house. Beep, 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 beep. Robinson, let's go. In the, in the van, the rest of the team's there. Everyone's halfway asleep. We go up to the mountains. We train in the morning for a couple of hours running. You know, this was consistently all summer. Some, some days we have to train in the afternoon, and I have to work in the summer with my dad. My dad was a scrap metal recycler, so I worked really hard all day in the scrap yard and then had to go to cross-country practice. It, it was horrible. <laughs> you know, it, was, it was terrible, but it was what was needed to win. And finally, toward the end of the summer, we started to get in shape. Um, we ran an invitational in Riverside, and our, our team, um, we swept. You know, we, we won that first, that first invitational. Then the, the year came, September, and we just started winning. First, first meet, we won. Second meet, we won. Third, we, we were undefeated league champs, just as I said. And then finally, we ended up at Mount Sac at the finals for the league championship. And my role in the team, well, I wasn't the fastest runner. Um, there was a guy, let me tell you just a little bit about Cook's personality. Coach Cook was, he was a great guy, and the thing about him, he loved the people on his team. There was one individual on the team named Roosevelt. Roosevelt grew up in the same neighborhood as me, and he was, he was really poor. And um, there may have, been, may have been some issues with his parents and drugs, alcohol, I'm not sure what the issue was, but he had a very unstable household. And he was on our team, and I remember he couldn't beat the girls. You know, on the first day of um, cross-country practice, he wasn't fast enough to beat the girls. Cook took this kid, adopted him, raised him up as his own son, paid for him to have good cross-country shoes, fed him, and he went from being like the worst runner on our team to the num number two runner. James ended up being the number one runner. And my role was to come in, in third or fourth place in, in all the meets. So if I came in third or fourth place, we would most likely win that meet. Um, we were at the, the, um, the finals at Mount Sac, and it was, Mount Sac is an extremely difficult course, if any of you guys know about that. We were running, there's a lot of hills, and I was just tired. And this was the last race. You know, if we win this, we win the championships. And I was just like, man, I, I can't do it. It's difficult. I'm tired. I don't know why I signed up for this. <laughs> this is it's ridiculous, you know. And there was about one mile left in the race, and I, I, I didn't have any more energy. I was done. And I was probably about seventh or eighth place at this time. And if, if I wouldn't have gotten my spot, like third or fourth place, we would, we would not have won that, that championship. But what happened was, you know, in the final mile, I'm just running, you know, we're up in the hills, and nobody's there, I'm by myself. And C Coach Cook looked kind of like Chuck Norris, right? He's <laughs> a little white dude, you know, looked like Chuck Norris. 
And I'm just running, I'm just like, oh my God, I, I can't do this. And out of nowhere, here's Chuck Norris running right next to me. Robinson, what are you doing? Robinson, come on, come on. There's like five guys ahead of you. Let's go. I was like, come on, leave me alone, man. Let's <laughs> get out of here. It's like, Robinson, you're the one who said undefeated league champs. This is it. This is it. Get him, get him, get him, get him. I was like, I can't. He's like, now. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and, um, you know, I sprinted and I, I passed up about three or four people, ended up in about, I think, fourth place and our team won the championships and we were undefeated. The thing is, the job of the Holy Spirit, today we're talking about the Holy Spirit, the job of the Holy Spirit is to run alongside you and to help you in your life. The Holy Spirit is like a great coach, okay? A lot of times we go through life and we think that we're supposed to figure it all out. A lot of times we're faced with all these decisions like, you know, what school should I go to? Where should I work? Um, a lot of times we're in seasons of transition where it's very difficult and the outcome looks very foggy, unclear, and we try to figure it out. And we, we fill our lives with so much unnecessary stress. Today we're going to look at John chapter 14, and the disciples were in a very similar situation, probably more severe than most of us. And what was happening was Jesus was about to be crucified within the next several hours. And Jesus was telling the disciples things like, you know what, one of you guys are going to betray me, okay, I'm going to die on the cross, I'm leaving, I'm not coming, you know, I'm, I'm not coming back for a long, long time. And the disciples were confused. They were afraid. They're like, you know, we, we left our families, businesses, everything to follow you. Now you're saying that you're leaving us. They were perplexed. It was a very dark and heavy time for them. And the interesting thing about Jesus, in this time, you know, he, he had his own problems. I mean, going to a cross, you know, that, that's a pretty big problem. And in the middle of his problem, he wasn't focused on his own self. He wasn't focused on his issue. He was focused on the needs of his disciples, and he began to comfort them with these words. Let's take a look at John um, chapter 14. Um, verse 19 to 31. What do I point this thing? Sorry. Okay. Jesus says in verse 19, A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. At that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commands and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I love him, and I manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the, word which I, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. 
These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you love me, you would rejoice because I said I am going to the Father. For my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father and as the Father gave me commandments, I do. I rise, arise, let us go from here. Okay. The first point I would like to make is your love for Christ is produced by your obedience. You know, it's, it's, it's um, proven by your obedience to his commandments. Okay, your love for Christ is proven by your obedience to his commandments. And um, before we get into that, um, Judas had a question for Jesus. And he was like, okay, you're telling us that, that you're going to appear to us, and then you're telling us that we're, we're going to be able to see you as, as disciples, but the world is not going to be able to see you? I'm, I'm confused. This is a little crazy. You know, and Jesus goes on to explain that. He was like, you know, first of all, the issue that Judas was, was dealing with was this whole um, theological issue that we call the Trinity. You guys, most of you guys have heard of the, the Trinity. And what Jesus was trying to explain to, to um, Judas was, look, like, I'm God. There's three of us. You know, there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And what Jesus was saying is, I'm going to come to you. We're going to make our home in you. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're going to dwell with you. We're going to live with you. But it's not going to be like the way you think. It's not like there's going to be a million Jesus walking around with every person who, who loves me. The way that this works is the Holy Spirit will come into your heart. Okay? The Holy Spirit will make his dwelling in your heart. And, um, and basically what Jesus will go on to, to teach them is that before he told them, I and the Father are one. Okay? Jesus teaches that you know, I'm, I'm pretty much the split image of God the Father. Okay? So I think it was Philip who asked previously, you know, show us the Father. Show us the Father. And Jesus is like, voila, that's it. I'm the Father. It's me. Okay? And Jesus is just like the Father. And what Jesus was telling the disciples was, I'm going to leave. And just as I represent the Father, the Holy Spirit will represent me. Okay? The Holy Spirit is like Jesus taking a picture of himself and saying, there you go. You know, you say, show me Jesus. Holy Spirit. Jesus, Philip said, show me the Father. Jesus says, I am the Father, just like him. His values are my values. The things that he loves, I love. The things that he wants, I want. Okay, so what Jesus is saying is, when I give you the Holy Spirit, he's a representative of me. The things that I want, he wants. The things that I love, he loves. The things that I hate, he hates them too. Okay, the things I want for your life, he wants for your life too. He is a representative of Jesus, okay? So Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments, okay? You obey the things I teach. And, and that's a really interesting thing because he says, you, shall, you will obey my words. Jesus, throughout the course of his life, probably said millions of words. So anyone will be like, okay, out of the millions of words, which ones do I obey, Okay. It's a lot of things to, to think about, a lot of things to try to figure out. 
And I think Jesus kind of simplifies everything in, um, in John chapter 13, verse 34 to 35. Well, we'll do Matthew. <laughs> Let me give my notes. Yeah, Matthew 22, um, 36 to 40. Jesus kind of sums up everything. He says, um, well, a lawyer comes up to Jesus and he asks, um, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and great command. And the second is like it. You should love, the Lord, love your neighbor as yourself. On these, two command, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So Jesus kind of summarized everything. He says, okay, there's a lot of things I've said. The Bible is a big book. Um, to make it simple, my command is for you to love God with all of your mind, all of your strength, all of your heart, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And this gets complicated. Okay, Sounds easy. But I think... What God is talking about is not just a superficial kind of love for your neighbor. Hi, hi, bye, hey, I love you, see you later, okay? It's, it's not this kind of superficial love, but what God is, is um, demanding from us or what he wants from us is a deep love for each other, okay? To love each other genuinely, to go through the trenches and the struggles of life with each other, to deal with people even in their weaknesses and the things that aren't very attractive about you know, our, our human nature, you know, everyone has issues. And the thing is, what God wants to see with his community is people genuinely loving each other, forgiving each other, and going through life together, okay? Um, John 13, 34, is it okay if I not do this? Do you guys have Bibles? If you have, if you have your Bible, take it out, I'm kind of old school. <laughs> if you have a Bible or a cell phone or a, a iPad or something, take that out. Turn to John 13, um, verse 34 to 35. Jesus says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Okay? So we're talking about loving the church. Okay? And I remember um, when I was a new Christian, just, you know, learning about Christianity, coming from a really broken family, really messed up family, dysfunctional family, and coming to church, trying to figure out this Christian thing. I remember the first church community that I went to, they were not very gracious. You know, I remember I would make mistakes, and I didn't know, I, I was a new Christian, I would make mistakes, I would go to church and probably say the F word or something, and people were like, oh, he's the devil. You know, he, the old devil kid, look at him, you know, stay away from my son. I don't want you influencing my daughter. And, and that was my experience at church, you know. And I think part of loving your neighbor is allowing them to grow in grace. Understanding that just like you have the Holy Spirit in you, helping you to grow in grace and helping you to mature, you have to trust that the Holy Spirit is in those new Christians, and in the beginning, these new Christians make a lot of silly mistakes. And part of us loving those new Christians is really being patient with them, 
and understanding that God will deal with them, God will help them. You know, our job is not to be the Holy Spirit, okay, and to convict them of their sin. Our job is to love them and to be gracious to them and to, to really help them, you know, along in their Christian faith. You know, part of loving um, people, part of this command is also loving those who aren't Christians, okay? As Christians, we're required to love our enemies, love people who aren't Christians, and, and that can be extremely difficult. Um, I remember, well, just, just last week, there was an incident at my school. I, I, teach, um, I teach at a language college, and there was a student who said something just really rude. I mean, it, it was pretty bad, and my boss was actually there when the student said this thing, and, and it, was, it was really bad, actually. It was, it was disrespectful, it was racist, it, it was just horrible. And my boss took me aside, and she's like, I'm sorry, you know, that, that was you know, that was not called for. And, um, and I was like, it's okay. And I remember I went home and I began to feel angry, you know, and I was like, you know, there, there are a lot of things I can do to this, this guy when I, you know, when I go back to school tomorrow, I can tweak out his grade, you know, and give him a tough time in class. And, and I was really trying to plot my revenge, you know, I was like, this guy, he hurt me. You know, what really happened, he hurt me and I was mad. And, and I wanted to do something to make him feel the pain that I felt. You know, I don't know if anyone else is like that, but, you know, that's just me. You know, but I, so I, I was thinking about all these things, you know, that I can do to this, this student. And I remember the Holy Spirit kind of telling me, like, hey, you're required to love this guy. You're called to, to love your enemies. And I was like, I, I just can't do it. There's no way I can. Did you hear what he said? Like, even my boss said that it was uncalled for. And then my boss was like, she, she sent me an email, and she's like, I will sit in your class with you and make sure that everything's okay. And I was like, okay. You know, but I was still plotting you know, how I was going to destroy this student. And I, I, I went to school in the morning. I was in the car, and the Holy Spirit was still kind of bothering me, like, you know what? You need to love this student. And I was like, I can't. You know? And I'm just being honest. I was like, I can't. I just can't. I don't have the strength. And the Holy Spirit said something very profound to me. He says, you must ask me for the strength to love. So in my car, I begin to pray, and I said, God, I don't have the strength to love this student. Can you please give me the strength to do it? And um, I went to class. A student was there. Um, class went on as usual. That student asked a lot of questions. I, I treated him fairly. and and my boss was sitting in the back watching the entire class, and, and everything went well. And that student asked a lot of questions. I, I gave him individual time and helped him, and everything went really well. And, you know, after class, that student, he brought me, like, a gift, some candy. I don't know why he did this. I guess that was his way of saying I'm sorry. I don't know. But um, my boss said something. She was like, you know, if, if I were you, I would not have treated that student very well. If I were you, I would not have spent that extra time with him, you know, because of what he said to you. But, you know, there's something different about you. And I think what God's calling us to do as Christians is to engage our, our coworkers, our classmates, those people who are very difficult in such a way. You know, we, we have to be patient. And the point is, this type of love and this type of patience cannot be produced out of your flesh. This type of love that, that God requires from us is only a love that can be produced through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Okay, this is a supernatural kind of love. It's not natural. 
The second thing that, um, that Jesus commands his disciples is to put their faith in God and to put their faith in, in Jesus. Okay, John 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Wilson preached on that a couple weeks ago. If it were not so, I would, I would have told you. So God says, do not let your hearts be troubled. He says, believe in God, also believe in me. The type of faith and the type of belief that's required as a Christian is not a type of faith that we can produce from ourselves. It's not wishful thinking. It's not just close your eyes and wish really hard and something will happen. But this is a type of faith that is produced only by the Holy Spirit. How can we believe in a God that we can't see? How can we put our trust in a God that we can't really hear, we can't touch? You know, I have a difficult time believing people who I can see. And then now the Bible's telling me to believe in a God I can't, I've never seen them. Okay, and I have to believe and trust my whole life. Okay, not only my whole life, but trust him with salvation. What happens after life and death? Will I go to heaven and hell? It's all in the hands of Jesus, but I've never seen him. Honestly, this is a very difficult thing that God is asking us to do. To believe in him, and we can't see him. A lot of times we go through life, it feels like we're by ourselves. Feels like we have to figure it all out by ourselves. But God is saying, believe in me. Believe in Jesus. How can we believe in Jesus? It's the working of the Holy Spirit that enables us to believe in Jesus, even though we have not seen him. It's a supernatural thing. When you guys became Christians, what happened was a supernatural thing. The Holy Spirit came into your heart and made his home there. If that's not supernatural, I don't know what is. Okay? The Holy Spirit's inside of us, and he enables us to trust in God. It's not our own working up trust. It's the Holy Spirit developing that trust in our hearts. In Romans chapter 8, verse 14 through 17, it says, for as many are as led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs of Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. So it's the Holy Spirit inside of us that confirms that, yes, God is real. Yes, the Holy Spirit is inside of you. Yes, Jesus loves you. The Holy Spirit is the one who confirms in your heart, and you just know inside of you that God is real. And this is not a knowing that comes from our own strength. Jesus, Jesus promises not to leave us alone. Okay, and I, that's kind of the point of this passage. We're not alone. Jesus promises another helper. John 14, 15 through 18. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray to the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be inside of you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. There's a word that's really important here. It's that word, um, another, okay? The word another. And um, there's two words 
for, for this word another, if you look up the Greek, the first one is heteros, heteros. And that means, it means two of any kind, okay? Two of any kind, like you could have two cars, right? Um, let's say you have a car that, it's a Mercedes, another car is a Pinto, okay? Two cars, two of any kind. They're both cars, but they're two very different cars, okay? The, the other word which is used here in John is the word alos. It means two of the identical kind, the same kind. And what Jesus is saying is, I will send you a helper who is just like me. He's just like me, exactly like me. Not just some, any old person coming to help you, but it's me, you know? And the interesting thing is I've gone to a lot of churches, a lot of charismatic churches, a lot of, you know, different kinds of churches, and, and everyone claims, you know, I went to one church, people were like, the Holy Spirit is here. He's here, and it gets all spooky, right? He's here, and then you look over there, and someone's like, ah! it's like, whoa. You know, you look over there, someone, mm, the Holy Spirit's moving. And then somebody over there is rolling on the ground. I'm like, wow, you know, is, is, is the Holy Spirit moving, or is Farmer John moving in here? You know, this is weird. It's like a circus, you know? And, and people get it all twisted. People don't understand the Holy Spirit, so they get all weird. You know, and Jesus makes it very clear. He says the Holy Spirit is not some mystical, strange, creepy, spooky thing. The Holy Spirit is me. And if I wouldn't do it, the Holy Spirit wouldn't do it. Okay, if you can read the Bible and read the red letters that Jesus speaks, and you hear someone else saying something that has absolutely nothing to do with what Jesus would say, then it's probably not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit represents Jesus. He's not going to ask you to do something spooky and weird. He's not going to ask you to move like a cow or to bark like a dog or to roll on the floor. But what he will ask you to do is to love your neighbor. What he will ask you to do is to put your faith in God and stop worrying about stuff. What he will ask you to do is to love God with all of your heart. Love God with all of your strength. Love him with all of your soul. The Holy Spirit will instruct you to do those things that Jesus instructed, instructed you to do. He will remind you of the things that Jesus taught. I'm running out of time, so I'm going to kind of skim through a lot of things. There are three things um, that I want to talk about as far as the Holy Spirit's job. The first thing is the Holy Spirit teaches us. It's his job to teach us. I remember when I, when I was first a Christian, it, it was very difficult because there's such an overwhelming amount of information about Christianity. And I was like, okay, I'm a Christian. Who do I believe? You know, you go to a Christian bookstore, there's literally thousands of books about Christianity. Everybody is supposed to be an expert about Christianity. Okay, you go on the internet, there's thousands and thousands of resources about Christianity and faith, and everyone has their opinion. You know, you go to college, one professor says one thing, the other professor contradicts what the other professor says. It's, it's confusing. Part of the Holy Spirit's job is to teach you the Word, to help you discern truth from fiction. I remember, you know, in my early days as a Christian, I would read books, I was like, I, I'm confused. <laughs> you know, and, I, and I would just simply just pray, Holy Spirit, what's the truth? And the Holy Spirit was very faithful in showing me that, okay, this is error, <laughs> and, and this is something you probably should do. The Holy Spirit's job, just like a coach, is to teach you the rules of the game, okay? The second thing 
The Holy Spirit guides. Okay, he guides. He knows your life. He knows you. He knows your strengths. He knows your weaknesses. He knows God's plan for you. So in his wisdom, he will guide you and help you to make the right decision. But it is our responsibility as Christians to engage the Holy Spirit in that process. Okay? The Holy Spirit will not control you. Okay? You have to invite him to guide you in your life. Okay? Just like a bike. You know, a bike can sit in the corner for hours. Until you engage that bike, pick that bike up, and ride the bike, it will do you no good. The Holy Spirit will help you when you ask him to help you. So that means we must be praying continuously, all the time. Always bringing before God your concerns. You know, the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all of your ways do what? Acknowledge him, and he will what? Direct your path. It is our responsibility to engage the Holy Spirit in our decision-making, and he will faithfully guide you in the right direction. Finally, it's the Holy Spirit's job to empower. Okay? I know that trying to be holy and righteous is very difficult, at least for me. I don't know about you guys. For me, it's very difficult. And I often pray, Holy Spirit, give me the power to live a holy life. Help me to live a holy life. The Holy Spirit's job is to help us to produce fruit. You know, a few weeks ago, the, the pastor here was saying that, you know, we're, we're to produce fruit, but it's not of our own working. The Holy Spirit is working out that fruit, and for each person, it's, it's different, you know, and fruit really means Christ-likeness, okay? When we're talking about bearing fruit, it's about us being more and more like Christ. So it's the Holy Spirit's job to help us to produce fruit. Galatians 5.22-23 through 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. And the Holy Spirit is the one who brings that out of you. So it's his job to empower you. You know, and before we close, I want to talk to people. I know there are a lot of you guys who have been in the faith for a long time. You know, and we're talking about the Holy Spirit's job to empower us. You know, I remember when I was a young Christian, I had a lot of energy. You know, I would pray all night, you know, worship all night, just do, do anything, had all this energy. But sometimes as you get older, you get a little tired. You know, you, you've been so familiar with the scriptures, so familiar with church, especially pastors. You get so familiar with the things of church, you get tired. And it's the Holy Spirit's job to give you that fresh energy, that fresh power. I remember when I was running cross-country, I was like, I, I just don't have it anymore. I don't have any more strength. And the coach came running alongside me like a crazy man. He's like, go. And sometimes that's what we need from the Holy Spirit, that extra push, that extra go. It's the Holy Spirit's job to give us power to run the race of Christianity. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we give you thanks for your word. I thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and I pray that you would help us to walk closely with you. I pray that we won't do things that grieve the Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that you would teach us all things, teach us all truth. I pray, Lord, that you would guide us. There are a lot of people here who have decisions to be made, and I pray that you would be involved in those decisions. 
And I pray, Lord, that you would empower us to do whatever ministry you've called us to do. We don't trust in our own ability, but we put our trust in your ability. We trust your super on our natural. We love you. We give our lives to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.